In contrast to uh, some of the passages we've looked at, this one is a rather short one, but it's uh, freighted with all kinds of implication, and we're going to be talking about the subject of freedom. It's very interesting in the midst of the freedom was uh, when Jesus was talking to uh, the Jews there, they said, we've never been enslaved to anyone, and that's somewhat of a convenient oversight. What about Egypt? You know, uh, you know, God had uh, actually sinned 10 plagues uh, in order to get Pharaoh uh, to release the Jews to go back to the promised land. Uh, for nine, they, you know, Pharaoh didn't budge. But on the 10th one, which was the death of the firstborn of every home there in Egypt, that was the one that broke his spirit and he let the people go. You may recall how the Jews avoided losing the firstborn in their own home as they celebrated the, what we call now the Passover dinner, uh, where the lamb is slain and they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost of their home. And that night when the death angel came to take the life of the firstborn, he would literally pass over those homes that were covered in the blood. So when the Jews celebrate Passover, and they do it every year without fail, they're not remembering their 400-year holiday in Egypt. They're remembering their 400-year enslavement in Egypt. Interestingly, you know, I have a kind of a book in my library. At least I still think it's there. Uh, But I remember writing down something that was in that book, and it was a a book by Robert Fulgram, and it was entitled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. He tells an interesting story about a 33-year-old truck driver uh, who's from this part of California, and his name is Larry Waters, uh, Walters, I should say. And his spirit really makes him something of a hero when it comes to predictable living. See, he always wanted to fly, But he never had the opportunity. It just never showed up. And so he would spend a lot of particularly summer afternoons in his backyard sitting in an ordinary lawn chair, you know, with the webbing and the rivets so forth, just kind of gazing up at the sky. Now, the next chapter in the story was actually carried by the newspapers and the television as Larry Waters drifted over the city of Los Angeles in, a lawn, in that lawn chair that was hooked to 45 helium-filled surplus weather balloons. Now, he had a parachute up there. He had some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And he also had a powerful BB gun that he can pop a balloon or two when he wanted to lower himself to the, to the ground itself. But instead of getting up a couple of hundred feet, uh, kind of overseeing his neighborhood, he actually shot up 11,000 feet. And he was drifting actually over the landing corridor of Los Angeles International Airport. Uh, you know, when he, when he got down, uh, the press was there, and uh, they said, you know, why did you do that? And he says, well... You can't just sit there, interestingly. And then he was asked if he was scared, and he said, wonderfully so. 
Uh, when he was asked if he would do it again, he said, nope. <laughs> and when he was asked if he was glad he did it, he said, oh, yeah. You know, for a few hours, he was unfettered and conspicuously joyful and free. You know, freedom, which is our subject today, is something that we all desire in the personal realm. Uh, freedom to be ourselves. We just want to be ourselves. We don't want to be some composite mosaic of the expectation of those who are around us. We just want to be, I want to be me type thing. You know, each year we celebrate Independence Day here in America. Uh, going back all the way to 1776, when we uh, wrote the Declaration of Independence, declared our own independence, free of Britain, no longer under their rule, and, and so forth. And it was uh, having defeated the British in the Revolutionary War, and it was really the dawning of a new day for America. Now, in case you're wondering, the UK does not celebrate July 4th, 1776, although they're incredible allies of the United States now and a great country over there. Uh, you know, according to the Bible, uh, when an individual becomes a Christian, that individual relinquishes self-rule. Uh, it's not an independence day, it's a dependence day. We're dependent on God. Now, the contrast, however, is more apparent than it is real. If you understand Christianity, you're not going to ever reject the Christian faith because it, it's, it doesn't make any sense uh, because it's oppressive. You may reject Christianity because you think it's too good to be true, and that might, be, that might work. But think about just think for a moment about embarking on a quest. You and I embarking on a quest to glorify the God of the universe and developing a deeper friendship with him and one another as we have a community here in the church, one another along the way, all in the context of true reality. What can possibly be better than that? You know, to reject Christianity because it is too good to be true is valid. But to reject it because you feel it's oppressive and guilt-producing, then your understanding of the Christian faith is way too wrong. It's, it's faulty. Now, <clears throat> there's a couple of passages, or I should say a couple of principles that emerge from our text today that Solomon read a few minutes ago. And I just want to share these two major principles and comment on each one of them this morning. First, freedom comes when we live according to truth. Verse 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, the term know refers to knowledge gained by personal experience. The term truth means to have an accurate perception of reality. And the term freedom means to act without external interference. 
So truth is always going to be linked to the Bible, to the Word of God, and it's knowing the truth and linking that truth with your daily experience that brings freedom, what we all want. You know, I had the privilege of going to the Eastern Bloc countries of Europe uh, right after the revolution there in the late 1980s when the Berlin Wall came down and so forth. I never saw the Berlin Wall up, but it came down. And interestingly, at the center of all of the revolutions of those countries in Eastern Europe there, at the center of it were the churches. Very interesting. Uh, And the reason for that is simply because during those 50 years of oppression under communist rule, the churches were one of the few places where the passion for freedom never did die out. And the reason their passion for freedom would not die out is simply because freedom is linked with truth about human nature, and truth is linked with the message of the Bible, and the message of the Bible is sourced in God. You know, we understand that truth is sourced in God, and when we understand, I should say, that truth is sourced in God, The implication of that truth is that it will lead to freedom for you and for me. It can't be controlled by an oppressive dictator. It can't be dictated by a permissive culture. You know, in a permissive culture like we have here in America, uh, Christianity appears to be conservative and unprogressive. But in an oppressive culture, like you find even today in a number of African nations and even a few nations in Asia itself, Christians appear as liberal and radical. So Christians, by their very nature, are always going to be a little bit countercultural. We're always going to be a little bit syncopated when it comes to walking with the rest of the populace today. Uh, And it's simply because we evaluate culture by a standard of truth that doesn't emerge from that culture. And that standard of truth is always going to be the scriptures. It's always going to be the word of God. And that's why we open it up and study it here. Now, the word of God is simply the straight edge by which we measure all of life. Right from wrong, good from bad, decent from decadent, kind from cruel. cruel. You know, people think oftentimes the Bible is just simply a book of rules that restricts our freedom. In reality, the Bible is a reflection of the character of God that brings freedom when we make the scriptures our rule for life. Uh, There's nothing more freeing than to know you belong to the God of the universe and he has a plan for your present as well as your eternal future. And the reason that uh, living according to God's truth breeds freedom is because the power of God, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but the power of God has taken the character attributes of God, woven those character attributes of God into the fabric of the universe so that they do become ruling realities in life. In other words, that means when we lie, when we cheat, when we deceive other people, we're on a collision course with a ruling reality that ends up shredding the beauty of our life. And so when we talk about freedom, 
It comes when we live according to the truth of Scripture. It's not doing what we want to do. It's simply doing what we were designed to do. And if we do what we were designed to do, then it will be what we want to do. There's a second principle. And that is freedom comes when we know that we belong to a dynamic community. Verse 35 says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. You see, a slave never knows when he or she may be cast out. But sons and daughters simply know that they belong. And we have a personal understanding of that just by the homes in which we live and the children by which we have. You know, one of the things that we all have in common is a quest for community. Uh, We want to be accepted uh, as part of a group. We want to be part of a community. You you see it amongst children. Uh, They enjoy playing with each other. You see it in a youth group. And it's a very sad thing when a member of the youth group can't quite break in. We see it in a church, a church of adults. You know, people are seeking community. They're seeking encouragement. They want others to walk with them as they continue to live, really, for the glory of God. And somehow, if we keep that circle open where people can come in and we take advantage and get to know them, invariably what happens is that the community continues to grow and it continues to strengthen. You know, it, you know one of the things that... Uh, You know, let me back up and say, you know, one of the things about community is that we want to be loved for who we are, but not solely for who we are. Because we all want, we all understand that we have a long way to go in life. And we long to be embraced by a cadre of people that will be able to envision the potential that we have and then cheer us on as we go for it. And that's what friends are for. You know, sometimes life can be relationally tough. And it happens to all of us. Sometimes our insecurities will conceal the good inside all of us. But real community goes beyond the insecurities and social awkwardness of one another and is able to see the potential greatness that is there And out of love and affection, we will seek to draw it out of other people. You know, I think of the words of von Goethe. He was a German literary scholar. He wrote Faust. But he said something very profound. He says, he spoke of it in the masculine, as they did back then, but uh, you can feminize it if you want. But he said this, treat a man the way the man deserves to be treated and you make him worse. But if you treat him as if he already were what potentially he could be, you make him what he should be. So what community does is it looks at the restoration work of God in one another. God's doing a work in each person in this room. And we look at what God is doing in one another. And then we simply Come alongside and cheer them on for the glory of God. When God is at work, greatness will eventually appear. 
Now, Harvest Community Church is, in fact, a community. And it's an important word. It's a good word. Uh, I'm glad that you included that word, not just Harvest Church, but Harvest Community Church. And what it does is it reminds us that we are not just isolated silos as individuals, but we're part of a community. And if we all contribute to it, then it will strengthen the community and friendships will increase. And the idea is, is that, you know, the, the, the people with, with strangeness, and we all have strange things, they can come in here and know that they'll be folded in. And that's what the church is all about. We don't stratify on the basis of externals. We don't compete for dominance. In fact, those people with the most authority, the most responsibility, if you please, within the church of Jesus Christ are really supposed to be and should be the chief servants. Uh, we don't play favorites with respect to those who are most loved and valued. We don't just try and cozy up to those that seemingly have life together. We encourage the shy. We encourage the withdrawn. We go get them. We bring them in. We make them a part of a group. You know, in the physical family, and we all are part of a physical family as well, we have to deal with this, not so much out of intentional neglect, but how things appear with the addition of children. And parents understand this, and so do children. For instance, have you ever noticed the correlation between where you are in the birth order and how many pictures your parents took of you? Um, some of you, for instance, are firstborns. How many of you were the firstborn child in your family? Okay. Okay, you who are firstborns, uh, firstborns, there are pictures, it seems like, every moment of their life. Something like this. This is Jenny when she was born. Uh, this is Jenny one minute later. <laughs> this is Jenny, one hour of life here on earth. This is Jenny when she was two. Seems like every single day uh, there are pictures of Jenny. Now, then comes the middle child. How many of you are middle children? Somewhere in between, maybe you had four or five siblings, but you're somewhere in between the first and the last. Okay, you're middle children. I'm a middle child. Well, this is what a portfolio looks like. Uh, at photo album for a middle child. This is Buddy on the day he was born. This is Buddy on his first birthday. <laughs> this is Buddy on his first day of school. <laughs> and this is Buddy when he graduated from college. <laughs> Just the highlights. And then the last child comes. How many of you are last children? Okay, good number of you. Okay, here's the, what the photo album of the final child looks like. Okay, this is Humphrey on the day he was born. <laughs> We've got to get more pictures of Humphrey, you know. 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, we're... Uh, You know, you don't need to worry about this in God's family. One of the things about our heavenly Father is that he keeps a photo album, if you please, of us each and every minute of our whole life. He's the one that has the ability to focus on every one of us individually at the same time throughout the world. And, and his portfolio is just absolutely chocked full. He never takes his eyes off of you, not even for a split second, and pushes you aside. You know, there are a lot of people today, perhaps the majority of people, that believe that freedom is having no master. Uh, Christianity comes along and says, you know, freedom is not having a master. Freedom comes from having the right master. And verse 36 says, if, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, we're all engaged, every one of us, whether we're conscious of it all the time or not, we're all engaged in a search for substance. You know, we're on a quest for meaning in life. We don't want to just exist. We want to do something that's real, that has some sort of effect. And you can't live without a quest. But whatever that quest is, it will become your Lord if you're not careful. Small L there. Now, if your quest happens to be the Lord, then it will always leave you wanting more. You know, there was a, an old English movie. It came out quite a while ago. And interestingly, I often forget about movies, but I remember something about this one. It's entitled About a Boy. It's an English movie, and Hugh Grant plays the role of a single man in that movie. And he's living off the royalties of, his, of a song that his father actually produced years and years earlier, and his entire quest in life was to, simply to be in leisure. Now, the movie itself had a lot of hyperbole in it in order to be humorous, but the message was very clear. He sought life without dependence and without responsibility to any other human being. And he defined freedom accordingly. But he discovered that it didn't work. His life was lonely. It was superficial. And he found that his impersonal world was actually unbearable. And the reason he found it unbearable is because this is not an impersonal world. You know, the message of the Bible is, is this. If you, if I, if we live for anything other than for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we take any aspect of earthly life and elevate it above the Lord Jesus Christ, then that for which we live, now get this, is less valuable than we are. People who reject the Lord have to live for something that is not near as valuable as they are, which is really a, a contradiction in logic. You know, and ironically, the stuff that we love uh, and even covet will end up ruling, ruling, tyrannizing our own life. You see, a Christian is not one who 
gives up freedom. A Christian is one who simply exchanges masters, moving from the things of this world to the God of this world. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. When we give up our make-believe autonomy and call on the Son of God, what happens is that we discover that all of the guilt and all of the condemnation of conscience just falls on Christ. You know, it's like the last song that we sang today. It's got to be one of the greatest songs ever. And just understanding Christ took the heat of all of that. And those, those teasing and those taunting voices really no longer have a case against you and against me. And it's this divine way of revolting against our own ego and just casting it off like a miserable yoke. If we do that, then we're going to find freedom in Jesus Christ as we pursue his glory. And pursuing the glory of Christ is not a solo enterprise. There's a certain times where we're alone and we think about what that glory means. How can I make God weighty? That's what the word glory means. How can I make him consequential and substantial in my life? You know, and that's what God wants us to do. Don't live for something of this world. It's beneath your dignity. Live for the only thing in all of the universe that is greater than you are, and that would be Jesus Christ. Proud to be a part of this fellowship. Father, we thank you for... Um, the way in which you constantly remind us. Uh, Father, uh, you gently bring us back when we step out of line. You don't scold us. You just are rejoicing that we're moving in the right direction. And uh, thank you for the privilege of uh, knowing the tenderness uh, of the Lord. And Father, we realize that uh, as a fellowship, uh, we're always making adjustments and we're uh, tripping up at times. Thank you for picking us up, uh, dusting us off, uh, encouraging us, and then sending along those brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who will walk with us, uh, enable us to enjoy a measure of healing and uh, Lord, it's just uh, the phenomenal unity of the body uh, that's committed to you. And uh, Father, we uh, thank you even for this day, another day uh, to praise you and to love you. In Christ's name, amen.